Chapter 3 of A Game of Chance by a Self-Made Man. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3. In which Lewis Jarvis interviews Tessie Rickson, and afterwards hears something that gives him great satisfaction. The factory hands had an hour for lunch, and most of the girls went home for the midday meal. Tessie Rickson was one of these, and Lewis Jarvis, in accordance with his amiable intentions toward Jesse Fairweather, took care to meet her as if by accident on the way to her father's cottage. Miss Rickson was a tall, somewhat angular young person with red hair, which, however, she referred to as auburn, a freckled face, a vinegary-looking mouth, and a turned-up nose. While she wasn't prepared to admit even to herself what other people would see with half an eye, that she was decidedly plain so far as looks were concerned, she was jealous of every girl who received more attention from the boys than herself. She was particularly down on Jessie Fairweather because everybody said Jessie was the prettiest girl in Northport, and chiefly because she, Tessie, was somewhat sweet on Will Summers, and all the other girls said Jessie was Will's sweetheart. Had she been mentally capable of originating any plan to get square with the captain's daughter, she would have put it into practice long ago. Fortunately, her powers in that direction were rather limited, but she was mean and reckless enough to put into execution any scheme that might be suggested to her that had for its object the humiliation of Jesse Fairweather. Consequently, as Lewis Jarvis had surmised, she was an easy tool for him to use. "'Good afternoon, Tessie,' said Lewis, taking off his hat to her. "'Good afternoon, Mr. Jarvis,' she replied, pleased to be addressed by the nabob's son. "'I suppose you don't object to my company for a little way, do you?' he said with a smirk intended to be fetching. Not at all, on the contrary, I shall consider it an honor, she answered, hoping some of her girlfriends would see her walking with the magnate's son, and that the sight would make them turn green with jealousy. It is too bad that such a pretty girl as you should have to work on such a pleasant day, proceeded the astute Master Jarvis with a polite grin. Isn't it? cried Tessie in a discontented tone. However, I don't expect to work always, Mr. Jarvis. Sure you won't. Some rich young fellow like myself, for instance, will come along and snap you up when you aren't thinking. I'm afraid the other girls would be all jealous of me then, said Tessie, delighted at the suggestion, which had not occurred to her before. I guess they would, especially Jessie Fairweather. I hear she doesn't like you for a cent, said Lewis artfully and doesn't care who knows it. I hate her, snapped Miss Rickson vindictively. She isn't so much, though she seems to think half the boys are crazy over her, continued the boy. Do you think she's pretty? No, I don't. Do you? asked Tessie with compressed lips. Not by a jugful. I like the color of your hair much better than hers. Do you really? You're making fun of me, aren't you? she added doubtfully. I'm not. Her hair is nice enough in its way, but yours is the most fashionable shade. I heard my mother say so. A whopper or two by the boy did not worry his conscience a great deal when they assisted him in the attainment of some object he had in view. Miss Rickson was very pleased to hear that Mrs. Jarvis, the leader of Northport Society, had actually noticed and favorably commented on her hair. She would take care that all the girls she knew should hear about it. If I were you, I wouldn't stand for Jessie Fairweather going about and telling the other girls that you had carroty hair and 
Did she say that? Almost gasped Tessie with flashing eyes. Not only carroty hair, added Lewis, smothering a grin with his hand, but freckles as large as warts. The idea, screamed Miss Rickson, now mad as a hornet. I mean, the artful creature. That isn't all, went on Lewis in his soft way. I suppose you wouldn't believe she said your mouth was big enough to eat snowballs. I'll get square with her for that, snapped a thoroughly enraged girl, clenching her coarse brown hands. That's right. I wouldn't let anyone crow over or make fun of me, said Lewis, egging the poor, deluded girl on. I heard she was making fun of you before Will Summers the other night. Said you were only a bundle of bones. She was afraid to touch you for fear you'd rattle. And somebody might think one of the machines was out of order. Oh, I'll fix her, the flaxen-haired thing, exclaimed Tessie furiously. Look here, said Lewis, tapping her on the shoulder. Do you know what a girl did once to another girl who talked about her in that way? No, I don't. What did she do? asked Miss Rickson with some interest. She got her fired from the shop where they both worked. Served her right. I'd give a good deal to get that washed-out blonde discharged from our place. This girl managed, somehow or other, to have a purse that did not belong to her found in one of the other girl's pockets. She was accused of theft, and as she couldn't prove she didn't take it, she was thrown out by the boss. It ought to be easy to work a thing like that. Now, mind, I don't tell you to do it. You've got too kind a heart to do anything like that, I know. Oh, yes, gritted the furious maiden, grasping at the idea like a drowning man at a straw. I'm too kind-hearted. I wouldn't think of doing such a thing. But how do you know this patsy-faced Miss Fairweather would not steal a purse if she got the chance? That's a fact, admitted Lewis, humoring her. And if t'was found on her, t'would show she was really a thief, wouldn't it? Sure it would, snickered Lewis, now feeling sure of the girl. I shouldn't be surprised if something like that actually did happen. We girls are very careless with our purses. If I should miss mine, I'll know who to accuse. By that time they had reached the gate of the poor-looking Rickson cottage, and Lewis was on the point of bidding the girl goodbye when Joe Rickson, her father, appeared at the door and asked him if he would not walk in, as he wanted to see him about a matter of importance. Young Jarvis was not anxious for an interview with Tessie's father, but as he saw no way out of it, he followed the girl into the house. While she repaired to the dining room to get her dinner, the old man led Lewis into the darkened sitting room and asked him to sit down near his old mahogany escritoire. Joe Brickson looked older than he really was. He was thin and spare like his daughter with closely cropped carroty hair and freckled features. He was mean and miserly by disposition, and though he had a fat account in the town savings bank, he always declared that he was not worth a cent. He kept his house and property in poor shape so as to hoodwink the assessor, but after all, he deceived nobody so much as himself. He often loaned money to his neighbors, on the best of security, of course. While the state law prevented him from exacting usurious interest, he had ways and means of getting around the law that were unique. You think your father would be willing to collect a note for me? began Mr. Rickson. Sure, why not? That's part of his business, isn't it? said Lewis in some surprise. I thought I'd ask you, because this here note's been running a long time, and I hate made no great attempt to collect it. 
"'cause the party ain't any too well fixed, you see, "'and it kind of goes again my grain to push poor people to the wall. "'The note isn't outlawed, is it?' asked Master Jarvis suspiciously. "'No, not for four months yet. "'It's good, then. How much is it for? Three hundred dollars. "'I really can't afford to lose so much money. "'Who is it against? "'It is signed by Nat Summers. "'He's dead, you know.' "'but I reckon his widder is responsible for it.' "'Who did you say?' said Lewis in some excitement. "'Not Summers. Will Summers, father?' "'You've got it just right, young man,' replied Mr. Rickson, nodding his head. "'You give me that note, Mr. Rickson,' cried Lewis, jumping to his feet. "'And my father'll collect it for you all right.' The old man promptly produced the note in question, and after the boy had looked it over to see that it was all right, he started for his father's office. "'By the great horn spoon!' he ejaculated. "'This is luck. I don't believe Mrs. Summers will be able to pay it. This is where I have got the squeeze on that low-down mechanic, Will Summers. You'll put your greasy paws on me, will you? Oh, father and I won't do a thing to you this time, you pupper. I've got you where I want you now, and I'll make you eat humble pie all right.' With this pious feeling in his mind, he hurried along the street. End of chapter 3